just say to you that, uh, you know, as men, that's something that we, we call this church to, is to, um, to have a higher, higher level and a scriptural look at it. Just so happens that a couple of weeks ago uh, that we looked at that a little bit as we preached through the gospel or through Colossians. That's one of the things about going through a book of the Bible that you get is you get to touch on all these different topics of life and you begin to see, wow, the Bible really is relevant for our day and age. It's really relevant as we kind of move forward in life and, uh, and prayerfully, you know, just by God's own direction, that'll, that'll happen and we'll get kind of the, the whole breadth of counsel. So dads, man, we love you. And, uh, and I, I tell you this morning, I'm driving to church this morning and it really dawned on me. My wife did something really cool for me. She gave me this picture frame, um, with uh, a, a, a picture of each one of our kids, and they're all holding a letter to the word daddy. And um, you can spell it out. I have five kids, so it works for me. Um, you know, you, maybe you have one that says D or dad or something. Or, but, um, but man, I mean, seeing that picture, I just, I'm driving to church, and I go, Lord, thank you for giving me eyes to see what's really, what, what really counts in this life. And thank you for making me an exceedingly, wealthy man. That's what I, that's my thought as I drove to church. And, um, and it's just a great thing. And, and again, I mean, I, I think it's great that we have a day. I mean, sometimes the church kind of poo-poos these days, like we're not going to organize ourselves around Hallmark, you know, but I think it's something to, to point out. So anyway, enough on that. Uh, listen, we're going to wrap up the book of Colossians this morning. And if you're, uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. If you don't have one, pop your hand up. Someone can get you one. There, there might even be one in the seat in front of you, so you can dig around there and, and try to find one. Um, Colossians, about three-quarters of the way through the Bible. Uh, let me just say this. I haven't said this in a long time, but I should say it often. There's no shame whatsoever in going to the front of your Bible and looking up the table of contents and saying, where is this book? That's what it's there for, and uh, we're not here to, to do Bible quizzes and all of that. Um, you don't need to impress anyone with how fast you can get to Colossians, you know. And um, I know that that just can be sometimes an awkward thing in church. You're like, everyone knows right where this book is, but I don't. It's okay. Take a peek. Find it, find it out. Part of why we open our Bibles uh, on Sunday mornings is that if you came here to hear a speech by me about things I invented, you would just be sorely disappointed I would add to your sorrow as a dad for Father's Day. It would just be miserable. It really wouldn't help you much. Uh, I might be able to entertain you a little bit. I might be able to say a couple of, oh, that's kind of an interesting point. But we wouldn't really have transformation. That's why we look to the Bible. And um, part of why I would encourage you to open it up and, and look and follow along is to say, is that really what God's Word is saying there? And is that really what that means, or is, or is that just you know, taken out of context or, or whatever else? And, and that's what it means to be a Bible church, is to say, God, we want to come and we want to hear from you this morning. Um, if you would, just open up to the, the very end of, of Colossians, and, um, and we're going we're gonna to read this. This, this entire letter, we, we sang this song, Center, which has been kind of a theme song for us uh, through this series and the reason that we that we picked that as kind of a, a theme song is that really this entire letter, if you take down and just, just read this letter from Paul in the book of Colossians, what you'll see is this. You'll see a lot of Christ. You'll see Christ, as it were, just built up, lifted up, and painted a picture where you just see Christ all through the Scripture, all through this letter. This letter is essentially, um, it's this Christ-centered theologically drenched letter. Paul is writing. Remember this pastor Epaphras went and sought help 
from an experienced pastor. So he went to Paul to tell him the troubles that were going on in this baby church. Paul then is in prison. He decides to write a letter to this to this uh, this little baby church of brand new Christians of different varieties of people that have all come together, just like I see sitting here. And it's in this kind of has-been town in the Tri-City area of Colossae. No one really cares about Colossae much. It's not like he's writing it to the church, you know, at New York or Los Angeles or some hub of, 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 you know, business and trade and all of that. It's a very regular group of people in a very regular town, frankly. And then right here at the end, what we're going to look at this morning is this endearing kind of snapshot of what community is all about. And sometimes as I read the Bible, I get to the end, these little greeting things or these little personal messages, and it's easy to just kind of blow by them and just go, oh yeah, he's mentioning names, it's hard to pronounce, and whatever. On to the next book or whatever else. Or I'm done. And what I want you to catch this morning, if, I don't, if you don't catch anything else, here's what I want you to catch. I want you to catch that Paul was writing a real letter to real people. So the reason this is so important is this treatise us a church a gathering of believers so that when he says put on kindness remember that from a few weeks back put on kindness and put aside abusive speech when he says things like bear with one another forgive each other when he brings up specifically husbands Wives, children, masters, slaves. When he brings up these different groups of people, it's not, it's not hypothetical. It's real. It's a real group of people who are really hearing this and really have to bear with one another. They really have to put aside anger and wrath and malice. And they really do have to put on kindness and compassion and gentleness and humility and patience. And so again, it's not just written from an ivory tower as kind of this would be nice to do. This is written to a real group of people. And that's what I want you to catch this morning. Um, here's what we're going to look at this morning. We're basically going to look at kind of a verbal snapshot, if you will. That's basically what we're, what we're going to be looking at. And as we do so, um, I want you to, to kind of pay attention to a couple of things. Um, Jeff, can you, can you bring this to my front screen too? Or is that not me? It's on. It's just not there. If that's not going to happen, just let me know. Um, this is yearbook time. I just went to a graduation on uh, Thursday night, I believe it was, and everyone's got their yearbooks, you know. And, and in essence, it's kind of like having a yearbook and, you know, pointing out to your friends, oh, this person here, let me tell you about them. And, and this girl here, you know, why is her face scratched out with pen? You know, well, let me tell you the story, you know. And, and in essence, this is a yearbook sort of, and, and Paul's kind of just, just giving specific names and specific groups of people and, and wanting to, to share about them a little bit. Uh, as, we, as we go to this, I want you to pay attention to two, um, to two things. Oh, here's a, here's a group snapshot uh, that didn't advance. We're having all kinds of technical issues. Work. Oh, there it goes. Now I just, I just advanced it again. Here, Jeff. There we go. This is New Orleans about a year ago, August of last year. It is hot, you guys. Extremely hot. But God will get you through that. And as you're sweating and dripping, you know, sweat, you just sit there and realize, you know, hell really stinks. So don't go to hell. And secondly, you just go, I'm sweating right now for Jesus. And it's, there's something really, really cool about that. I'm laying on my bunk. 
and there's like 60, you know, high school kids from Texas being extremely loud and unsensitive to my sleep needs and my eight-year-old sleep needs, but we're doing this for Jesus. And really, really cool about that um, that's going to go on. I cannot wait for these three. A little side note. I have to tell you this. Already, before they God has shown up in powerful ways on this trip. Um, uh, several weeks back, we're talking something about getting out of the boat was said from up here. Megan talks to me that week. She goes, Dave, I'm getting out of the boat. Um, but frankly, right now, I mean, there's just there's funds that it takes to get to New to go on a trip like this and go be used of God in the city of New Orleans. And um, it wasn't just always fully fun. It wasn't always easy. All these answers have been lined up. You had to discover those as you took a step. And you watch the way God leads. He rarely gives us our five-year plan. Hey, Travis, what's going to happen in five years, and here's how it's going to happen. Instead, Abram, get up, leave, go to a land I'm going to show you. Here's a cloud by day. Here's some fire by night. Follow it. What? Day at a time, step at a time. I will illuminate what it takes for you to take the next step of obedience. And so often, I want a plan. I want a master plan for this church. God, where is it going? He's not shown us that. One of the things we've decided to try and do with Neighborhood Bible Church is this. We've tried to say, God, we want to create, we want to create soil that's healthy, that's fertile, that's absolutely founded on your word, and that you would, amongst your people, spring up what you are doing at Neighborhood Bible Church. Instead of having a group of leaders, three or four leaders, that somehow top-down manage the entire church, instill a bunch of programs, and then try to recruit people to do those programs that they may or may not be passionate about, that God may or may not be in, we've just said, God, we want you to spring things up. Here's the kinds of things that that has come from that. Zimbabwe this year was not planned by the pastors and elders of this church. We're going to go to Zimbabwe. You know what I have been praying for for a long time is that in 2008 – that God would raise up missionaries that would see fit to leave the comfort of this setting that we're in right here for the specific purpose of going out and spreading the gospel. So what happened? A group of people were stirred by some things that Glenn said in a myriad of circumstances, and they went off to Zimbabwe. And you guys who are part of this church, you remember seeing pictures and hearing stories. And God blessed that. Vivian called me the day after the women's retreat. said, Dave... um, Valley's high school group's going to New Orleans. God just put it on my heart. Is there any way? Is, I, I'm, I'm thinking we should go on this. And I said, Viv, you're just the poster child of what I want to happen more and more and more at Neighborhood. And that is, Vivian didn't just get kind of this, something that God put on her heart and then charge ahead, totally detached from Neighborhood Bible Church. She, she kind of brought it to the community said, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this? And we kicked it around, and in about two or three days, there was a couple phone calls. I spoke with Darren. We made a couple of just phone calls, and it seemed really good. And we moved forward with it, and God has already just answered prayer saying, I'm in this 100%. So I can't even wait to hear what happens a week and a half from now when they come back and the stories that they will have and the ways that God will have shown up and I just love that. So I'm excited to, to hear what goes on. Here are the two things I want you to, to remember. Um, by the way, you're going to come back. Here's, here's, what, here's what this morning's about. Paul, in essence, is going like this. So these are good people. I could tell you stories about all kinds of people. In fact, some of them are here this morning. 
But up here in the green shirt is a guy named Frank Mike. And in the South, they just take a couple names and put them together. I don't know why they do that. I'm from here. But uh, I'm standing next to Frank Mike. And what no one else in this picture knows is that this whole time, Frank Mike's muttering things under his breath. And what... And what's so great is I see this picture, and I have a total memory of Frank Mike. He sat on that porch for about 90% of the trip. Isn't that true? He sat in this chair on the right side over here, and he's over there, and he's this wealth of humor, of life, of stories. He's lived in this house. This house is over 100 years old. He has, he has seen through hurricane after hurricane after southern storm. And so when Katrina hit, he thought it was just another one of those. I think he's 78 years old, and he was stuck for days trying to get to the Superdome, which you can see from his house. So he found refuge on an overpass after wading through junk like this up to his chest. And to this day, they live in a FEMA trailer right next door that you can't see because this house was unlivable at the time. And he's having to go to the hospital or to the doctor a couple of times a week for respiratory issues since Katrina. Some people I've talked to, even when I went last year, don't those people have their act together yet? That's the that's, that's a, that's a exact thing someone said to me as I went down there. No compassion. Just, why are we still helping that? That was a long time ago. And I just say, look, man, the cameras have left, but the needs are still there. Imagine, imagine what happened to you. So that's why we're still going. If, you, if you've wondered that yourself, I was a little uncompassionate been through a, a hurricane like that. But I could tell you stories about each person. That's in essence what Paul's going to do verbally here. He's going to start talking about different people. And when I look at this picture, when Grace looks at this picture, what we remember is eating chili dogs on that porch. Because Frank Mike's white, uh, wife, Miss Louise, we called her, she wanted to do something for us. Here this group of people from California were coming out doing something for her. So in their kind of widow's mite, tiny amount of money, she goes and makes these chili dogs for us. Tons of them. So we're eating these fat chili dogs on the porch. It's like, you know, 190 degrees. <laughs> Honestly, the last thing you want is a chili dog. But, but we're chowing on chili dogs, man. And it was the coolest thing ever. And I look at a picture like this, and I just... I want my life to be a series of just being able to look back on these and going, remember that experience? I love to overhear stories of you guys who were on week one of Mexico last year. And I just overhear, remember that? Oh, yeah. I wasn't a part of it, but it's just fun to look in on that and go, that was so cool. And I was a part of week two, so we have our own stories that went on week two. But that's why we're challenging you and inviting you, and, and it's good to get out of here, just the city even, and just do stuff together. Um, here are the two things I want you to keep in mind. The early church relied on unsung heroes um, as much as bold leaders. In a word, the early church was about teamwork. And what happens is um, there's, a, there's a handful of people that we know from the Bible. If you know your Bible and you know the New Testament, there's some kind of all-stars. There's some people there that you just know. If I, were to, if I were to ask you, you know, to name any patriot, New England patriot right now, many of us maybe would be kind of hard-pressed. But if I asked you to do the quarterback, who knows the quarterback of the, of the New England Patriots? Okay, Tom Brady. Okay, I don't, I don't care about the New, New England Patriots really one bit, but I happen to know that. Because he's the quarterback. Who's their guard? I don't know, any idea. Nor do I really care. Ask Brady. Ask Brady. <laughs> Brady better know. 
But it's a team of people that, that, that makes something happen. Let me just have you do this right now. I'm going to read off a name. If you know someone personally by that name or know of someone in your life by that name, I want you to raise your hand and leave it raised. Here we go. Ready? How many of you in this room um, happen to know from your life experience a John? Put your hand up if you know a John. How about a Paul? Leave him up. How about a Mark, a Matthew, a Timothy? Leave your hand up. I don't know that there are any hands down. I think, okay, you can put your hands down. Here's the point. Let me, let me, let me do this now. How many of you in your life personally know a Tychicus? Raise your hand. Onesimus. Aristarchus. Epaphras. Okay, here's the point. The people I just read off, we're going to look at this morning, these were warriors for the kingdom of Christ. These were early pastors that allowed the church to flourish, but we don't really even know about them. They get this tiny little byline in the Bible, and yet they were major players in the early church. And that's just the, the, the nature of how these things go. Let me, um, let me just throw this out to you. Here's, here's, here's the, the, the second thing. Um, most of us have a cell phone in here, okay? Most of us have talked on the phone this week. And if you look at my cell phone, I have some speed dials that I call, people that I call often. So I push the number, hold it, and up they come. Now, I don't put people on there that I rarely or never talk to, right? I mean, it's, you, you put on there who you're going to speak with a lot and, and whatnot. And as I, as I read this, here's what I got to thinking about. I think it's Verizon. Is it Verizon that has the uh, Fave 5? Whoop. What was that? T-Mobile. Okay, this whole campaign about who's in your fame five or whatever, and and like you know people move positions based on what they did to you, you know. So if you got if you got a latte from them that week, they bumped up one or whatever. I don't know how it was. It was kind of funny, but in essence, you know, you you basically put people in there that matter to you. And and as I began thinking about Paul, here's the second thing I want you to kind of notice as we go through this is that Paul kind of defined his network of relationships, his fame five, if you will, um, based on the mission that he was on. The people that he related to, the people that he knew, and what he talks about them and what he leaves out is very, very telling. Because Paul was on a singular mission pointing this way, and people in his net, relational network all tied into that somehow. And I want to just, here's, here's his mission. Spread the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what he was all about. So if he knew you, it was because you were a partner in that. It was because you were an enemy of that. Stay away from that person. He's deceptive. Or because this person over here needs to become a part of what, what I'm about. This guy needs Jesus. And so I'm going to go and, and meet him and be about him. And it was telling just to, to think of it that way. Now, here's essentially what's... Uh, I don't know if I just hit this. Man, we were just having... There we go. Um, Four things I want you to look at. Colossians 4, uh, starting in verse 7. And what I'm going to do, I I decided not to have someone stand up here and read the passage. Every week we've been having people stand up and read the passage. But um, there's so many funky names in here that it probably would have just stressed the person out. I'm completely stressed about it. Not really. Um, But so I'm just going to read through it this time as we go. We're going to kind of read as we go this morning, and we'll, we'll see how we do. So there's kind of some different sections as you go through these personal statements that Paul's making. And first and foremost, he's basically introducing the two people who are delivering the letter to, to the church. Um, and, so, and so let me read that, verse 7 of chapter 4, Colossians. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. 
I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with um, Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Mind you, Paul's writing this from prison. He's sending these two guys and, and, um, and putting them out. Now, I want to just kind of give you a, a little picture here. There, there they are. Um, I'm not sure that they were into crew uh, necessarily, but, um, but there's two of the people we're going to look at this morning. Two of the things that both of them got was this tag of faithful and a tag of beloved. Now, there's some other distinctions between the two, but, but part of why that's important is this, is that if you were to send something right now, not, not a letter or a package per se that could be purchased with, with money, but let's say a family heirloom or something that's irreplaceable, Maybe every photo you own of, of, of your entire life or something like that. I mean, a computer you can buy again or a cell phone if it breaks, you know, whatever. But what if it's something that you couldn't replace and it was really precious and who would you send that with? Well, if you were sending it through a company, you would say, you know, what can Brown do for you? You're like, well, can you insure and insure and make absolute sure that this won't get lost? And I don't want my money back. I want this to be sure that it gets there. If you're picking someone, they say, hey, I'm driving across country like John is soon. Uh, I'll take it there. Well, you'd, you'd, you'd kind of weigh that person and go, I don't know about you. You know, maybe you might kind of lose something. But these were, these were faithful brothers. And just even the fact that Paul entrusted them with this really important letter to, to send to this church was a, was a really big deal. Uh, here's, here's why they were, they were good choices is they had proven themselves faithful. Let me give you a quick definition. The word reliable means this. You take the word liable, it just means responsible. And re means over and over and over again. So someone who has proven themselves reliable, they're just responsible every time. And you just go, man, I can just count on that person. And that's what these two men had proven themselves to Paul in such a way that he said, these are faithful people. I'm going to send my letter with them. Mind you that in the, in, in the days that we're talking about, traveling from one place to another was a big deal. It wasn't like a little bit inconvenient because it might be hot or, gosh, these lines at the airport are just a nightmare or they're doing construction and so it takes a little longer. It's none of that. It's dangerous, it's time-consuming, and it's a, it's a big deal to, to, to go and do this. And so for Epaphras to go to Paul was a big deal and for him to send these two people back was a big deal. Let me ask you the second question. That's kind of dealing with the faithful. How about the beloved part? Just think in your mind for a moment, how is it that someone turns from a regular person that you know, an acquaintance, into a dear brother or a beloved friend? How does that take place? I don't want you to answer out loud. I just want you to, to mull on that for a second. In your life, how did someone move from an acquaintance or someone you knew about into someone that you go, man, they're one of my closest friends. They're beloved. They're dear. Here's how it happens in a physical family. Okay, I don't care if your family. We have an adopted child. I was, a, I was, a, I had step things going on in my family. So I'm not talking about necessarily blood, but in your physical family, whatever you define your immediate family. Here's how it takes place. Number one is you have no choice but to be in that family. Think about it. As a kid, you may have wished for a thousand times to have your friend's parents because they're super cool and they let you eat snacks right before dinner or whatever cool thing happens you know, going on. But no matter how hard you wished, you weren't a part of their family. 
You had no choice. This was your family. And as things got older and you got more, you know, wiser and things got more complicated, you're like, man, so-and-so really let me down. I, I, I wish things were different. I wish I was in a different family. Maybe you've never had that thought, but maybe you've had that thought before. You know what? You don't have a choice. So commitment is one ingredient as to how family even, we're stuck together, kind of for better or for worse. What's interesting is that divorce, which is always the result of sin and never God's plan, it doesn't really separate you from the family. You know that? When, when you divorce your family, they're still your family. And so what happens is, divorce happened in my family when I was four years old, so guess what happens at Mother's Day? I, it's not like one checked out. I mean, I still know both my moms. So it just caused uh, greater uh, time schedule conflicts. Guess what happened at my wedding? It was how do I honor my stepmom, who's been my stepmom for a lot of years, and my, my birth mom, who's still in my life and I love. And we're still tied together. We, we, we all have, have kind of tasted of this. So this idea that, that commitment. The second ingredient with family is just time. Just walking through life together. Highs, we're at Disneyland having an absolute blast. Things are great. And lows. Catastrophe happens. Financial ruin has gone on. Dad's walked out. Something else happened. And when you start going through life together and commitment and time go on together, you know what happens out here somewhere? You look back on all of this together and you go, man, there's times I hated you and wanted you dead, brother, or cousin, or sibling, or parent, whatever, but you're dear to me. And there's this weird thing of, you know, just going through it as a family. That's physical family. Think about taking the physical family now and and moving it over to the spiritual family, God's family, a church. What if we take those same two ingredients and we apply them to a church? What if our commitment wasn't I think I'll check out Neighborhood Bible Church this week. But if the worship's, you know, not to my liking and Dave says something offensive and the candles hurt my sinuses, I'm going to go to a church down the street until I get offended or something doesn't meet my needs. And then I'll go to a church down the street this way. And then I'll move over here. What if we were the only church in town? What if the only Christians that lived in the Silicon Valley gathered together because we had to, and this was it, we'd be committed. That's a little bit more the picture of the early church. You didn't go down to, you know, second church of Christ down the, down the path or something. It's like, no, this was the group of Christians, and you stuck it out, and there was a commitment there. And then as time goes by, as I look around at your faces, and hopefully as you look at my face, I look at people that I just knew as acquaintances in November of 2006. I didn't know you. I just began to pray, God, give me a heart for the people that show up at this church. Give me a heart for the neighborhood as I drive around, as I walk around, as I go to Starbucks. Just give me a heart for these people. And what happens is, guess what happens? I would look around now and say, these are, these are dear friends. That if tomorrow God picked me up and moved me to Zimbabwe to go work with Glenn with AIDS orphans, I would count you as dear friends. And when I came back here, I would want to connect with you, have dinner with you, catch up with you, and find out how life is going. So time and commitment, those two things are how these things begin to happen. Um, let me just take an illustration for a second. If we were to take two chairs and, um, and put them like this, here, I'll, I'll make it this way so you can see. 
And you take two people and you just put them in this chair and they're kind of facing each other. And you say, let's develop a, a relationship. Let's start to meet together and, and begin to relate to each other and have a friendship. And so they start to do that. Uh, there will be some neat things that go on there. God has created us with a sense of community, a desire to be connected to one another. But eventually there would be, there'd be a, an element where it's like, you know what, you're kind of boring to look at and you sit in your chair really funny. Why can't you just sit still? And this person would go, you know what, you're boring to look at and you have a pig face or whatever. You know, it's like they would start nitpicking and just being weird and, and it wouldn't be, you know, the, the, the same as this. Here's what goes on when you go to Mexico. You take two chairs, you take two people, and you say this. You say, for God's glory, we're going to go down and we're going to serve this group of people for God. It's stinking hot in New Orleans right now. I'm not even there, but I can just tell you, it is. We're going to go down with a group of people, and we're all going to face the same direction, and that is God's glory serving people, self-sacrificing for the sake of the kingdom of God. You know what a byproduct of this is? You look over in the midst of it, and you go, dude, you're sweating like a pig. And they go, you are too. And you're like, sweet. And you just give a high five. And then uh, another day goes by. And then when I mention the chili dog story, Grace over here can go, yeah, that was a great day. And before you know it, there's unity and there's community and there's relationship that goes on this way. I discovered this in youth ministry. Year after year after year after year after year, a group of people would come, not because it was fun to work with youth, although it is, but because youth needed Christ. That was it. And then you look back and you go, man, these are some of my closest friends. These are the people I really love dearly because we've cried together with kids. We've had no idea how to minister to certain kids. We've been on cloud nine with kids and watched kids' lives transform. We've gone to kids' Uh, graduations only to see them walk away from Christ and desert, and desert, you know, desert the whole thing. And in the midst of that, there's great community. Here's the point. Incredible teamwork goes on when there's a common goal. The Lakers are filled with probably some of the biggest egos in sports. But you know what? The last several months leading in the playoffs, they began to play like a team, unlike they play on a regular basis. That's because they wanted to win a championship, and so suddenly Kobe didn't care quite as much about himself as the team. This plays out in politics. This plays out in sports. This certainly plays out in the family. And this plays out in the church. And we see this happen. Great things are accomplished when we're on a, a, a common goal. I want to ask my brother John to come up here right now. And um, many of you guys uh, know John and, and Claudia um, have gone through a, a real tragedy here recently and they're they're still going through it. It's not like they've gone through it and it's over. Um, John stopped by the church on Friday, and I really think that this is something orchestrated by the Lord. Um, John came by. I was here uh, just doing some stuff, and we chatted, and he comes by periodically, so it wasn't abnormal that he stopped by. But as he came by, he said, um, he said Dave, I'd really like to just share with the, with the body and, um, and to say a few words. And here we are. I mean, I happen to know what the passage was this week and this picture of community and how the church functions. And um, I said, John, this, this seems like a great week for you to, to come and share and, uh, and, and talk a little bit. So, um, John, do you want the handheld or do you just want to talk loud? I'll just talk loud. Okay. So <clears throat> I just want to thank all of you. It's been, very, it's been a difficult last six weeks. 
you know, on, on the loss of our daughter. But the community, you know, my church, our church, mm -hmm. everyone sitting here has made it easier, lessen the pain for us to get through. Uh, you know, it's just, I, I'm, I'm really faithful now in God's greater plan. Mm -hmm. I drove by here, I, used, I live three blocks down, cutting across the condos. And I drive by here every day. I've driven by here four or five times every day. And when I saw the sign out there last November, a year and a half ago, it said, something new coming to your neighborhood. It just, it just kind of just kept turning me and looking, what's going on, what's going on? I'd come out and look at the door and whatnot. <clears throat> and now I know why I was led here mm. almost two years ago. We were led here because God had plans for Marie to take her home. And he wanted me and my family, all of us, to get by, to get this, to strengthen my, my faith in God. And everyone in here, and also people that aren't here today, that have prayed for us, that have helped us get by this, that's part of God's greater plan. And everything that I, that I read now, my faith is 100 times stronger. My son-in-law, Oscar, my wife, my kids, we're all just much, much stronger now reading the book. And I just want to give thanks to all of you for helping us get by these times. And the church, everyone sitting in here, everyone that prayed for us, all the phone calls, the flowers, the food, just the support that we've had is just tremendous. And you know, I'd, I'd like to, to thank all of you for that. Tomorrow, Elizabeth and I, my 11-year-old, will be going on a cross-country road trip. So we'll be gone for a few weeks, five, six weeks, not sure how long we'll be gone. Destination is New York, and we do plan on going by New Orleans and you know, looking see what we can do to help out there for a day or two. Mm. <clears throat> so I'm gonna ask you to continue to pray for Elizabeth and I as we're out there, but especially for my wife, Oscar, my son-in-law, Oscar, yeah. you know, all of Marie's brothers and sisters, her nieces, nephews, grandparents, her brothers and sisters, you know, it's, it's been it's, it's, it's been easier for me because of, of all of you here, calling, prayers, you know, it, it has have helped me get strong, helped me help get by this, you know, I'll be honest with you, there's not a day that goes by that I don't shed a tear for her, but yet, prior to Marie's passing, I was afraid to die, hmm. I'm, not, I'm not afraid anymore. I don't want to die. Granted, I have my grandkids, all my kids I want to see grow up. I want to see them dance and play football and everything. I want to go to their weddings and you know, my oldest granddaughter is four years old. But yet I know that when, when, when our Heavenly Father calls me home, I'm ready. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go dance with my daughter and be with my mom and just see loved ones that I haven't seen for a while. Mm -hmm. And all that is to the book, the good book, you know, all of you here. And for that, you know, I really, really want to thank you. Hmm. And when, when, a, if, when a tragedy happens to you, it happens to all of us. It's part of the life cycle. Don't withdraw. Mm -hmm. Go out and get the support from us, That's right. from this community. Because it's there. All of you are very, very, your hearts, your homes, everything is just opened up mm -hmm. to us to help me and my family get through this. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. Marie's very young, 29 years old. 
Um, I'd just like to thank all of you again for, for being there from, you know, some of you were there day one, you know, when Marie actually passed at the hospital. Yeah. And you've been there every single day now, and you will be there every single day from, from now on. Yeah. But again, thank you all very much. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. <laughs> I think it was um, it was either John or Claudia, but at some point, um, probably not super long after this whole thing happened, and it happened very, very suddenly, um, one of them said to me on the phone, I can't remember which one of you I was talking to, but one of them said, you know what, um, the way that NBC's responded, this is just how a church should function. This is how it's supposed to be. And it was just this kind of passing comment, but that just stayed with me. And I said, God, would you help us to treasure this? Would you help us to treasure what's going on? And John made another statement there that when things go on in your life, I'll tell you what the enemy wants you to do. He wants to shame you and isolate you from the body. No one else is going through this. No one else could possibly understand. They will all look at you different, so don't bring it up. Or maybe the worst one is, I can handle this. And John and Claudia and the family, they've been here every single week. They haven't run from the community of God. They've run to it and they've clung to it. Even when they didn't, even when it was probably annoying to be asked about how are you doing or any of that, they just said, where else can we go but to God? Where else can we go but to God and cling to Him? That's the picture of community. Now, no one in this room would sign up to say, gee, I need deeper relationships. No one would sign up for a tragedy to go on in our lives. But we live in a fallen world, and if things are great right now, watch out, because life just comes in cycles. If you're down in the dumps right now, look up. And let's be there for each other. I guarantee you the Garzas will have a new ability through the power of Christ to minister to those in need because they're wounded healers now. They've gone through it themselves in some way, shape, or form. And that's what community is about. Quick word about Onesimus. We'll get back to our text. Onesimus was a runaway slave. He left the city of Colossians. He left his master, a guy by the name of Philemon. And he takes off for Rome. While in Rome, as God's plan, as John mentioned, would have it, he just so happens to bump into this guy named Paul. Paul leads Onesimus to the Lord and then says, you know what you ought to do, the right thing for you to do is to go back and make restitution with Philemon, your slave, your, your master. So one of the persons coming back delivering the letter is this restored, now Christian brother, Onesimus. And it says in verse 9, it says that he returned to the city as one of you. That doesn't mean now just as a Colossian, a fellow person who lived in that neighborhood, but now as a, as a Christian brother or sister. And the whole book of Philemon, if you go read the book of Philemon, that's Paul urging Philemon to do the godly thing and restore him and to treat him the way that a Christian ought to treat a Christian brother. And just because he was defrauded by him and has every right in the book to just chuck the law at him, Paul urges him to receive him back. Again, there's nuggets of stories in here and backstory that goes on that shows you what community is all about. You say, but this person flaked on me. 
Yeah, well, Philemon's slave ran away, took off on him. He was defrauded. He was hurt. And Paul's saying, bear with one another. Forgive one another. Put on a heart of kindness, compassion. Do you see it now? It's real people, real broken relationship that needs to be restored for the glory of Christ. Here's the second thing that Paul's doing is he's just, there's greetings that he's sending from Paul's friends who are with him. Let me read that starting in verse 10 through 14. He says, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, for they have proven um, a, a comfort to me. Um, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greeting. He is also wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. And I'll pause there. So here's Paul now uh, just sending greeting from the people who are there. These people all wanted to get a word in, and they're sending this, and, hey, say hi for me, Paul. You know, that's kind of that sort of a thing. So it's kind of like tacking onto the email. Oh, yeah, by the way, da 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 And here's what's going on a little bit. Lots of names. I'll just kind of blitz through this and give you some of the kind of um, highlights, if you will. Aristarchus. You could read about him in Acts 19, Acts 20. 27. He's only mentioned in three other places in the whole Bible. But he was this Macedonian guy who traveled with Paul for the advancement of the gospel. He was one of the people in the picture of, of uh, New Orleans. You know, if Paul had pictures of his missionary journeys, he'd be like, oh yeah, here's Aristarchus. He was with me on that trip. Oh, I remember that was a tough night when I was getting flogged. Yeah, he was with me there. He's one who helped bandage me up after that one. Oh, he went to prison with me. So, He's, he's, he's part of the crew. He's part of his, his network of, that's advancing the gospel. This guy, Mark, that he mentions is the same John Mark that we read about in other parts of Scripture. And if you read the New Testament, you might remember this account. If you're a student of the New Testament, you'd certainly remember who John Mark was. And there's kind of this, this famous thing that goes on. His ministry career is a little bit interesting. He was on the first missionary journey. The very first missionary journey is recorded for us in Acts 13. And again, when I was bored in church and I was a kid, we didn't get dismissed all the time. So I'd go back to the maps and I would trace the different journeys. I'd be like, oh, I wonder if there was good surfing, you know, surfing at, at Myra here. And then Paul went on a boat. I wonder if he went fishing. You know, I just kind of like family circus, you know, where the guy just kind of cruises around. Kind of like that. So I'd look at the maps. Well, if you look at Paul's first missionary journey, it's all found in Acts 13. These are real cities, real places, real storms that he went through, and real people that he went with. These were missions trips, basically. And we have it recorded for us. And sometimes we just blitz through this historical stuff saying, I'm not very historically minded. Well, it puts it in context when you understand the relationships a little bit. Here's John Mark. John Mark goes with them on the first missionary journey. But then catch this. When things get tough, John Mark deserts them. He takes off. Acts 13, verse 13, from, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John, that's John Mark, left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, this desertion on this missions trip becomes a source of conflict between Paul and Barnabas. Two leaders on the mission trip, when they decide to take another missions trip, Paul says, we're not taking John Mark. Barnabas, who happens to be his cousin, 
and happens to be more of an encourager and probably more a mercy-gifted kind of a guy, said, look, let's give him a second chance. Paul says, no way. And there was such a sharp disagreement that those two, that, that ministry partnership split up. So that doesn't just happen in our churches. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but it's like Kurt and I are talking and we go, Jonathan's a great guy. And Kurt's like, yeah, but he nailed me with a hammer on my thumb last summer at Mexico. And I say, look, give the guy a second chance. He said he was sorry, you know, whatever. And Kurt and I say, we can't get this together. We're going to, we're going to part ways. Here's what ends up happening. Sometimes even in our sin and disagreement and things we can't come to conclusions on, different ministry teams form and God's work continues on. Here's what's really powerful to look at, though. John Mark's story doesn't end. Because, listen, this is now written a long time later. And by the time he's writing this letter, John Mark has been restored in Paul's eyes. And he's saying, you received instruction about him. We don't know what that instruction was, but maybe the instruction was, hey, you've heard in the past that this guy deserted to, you know, deserted things and, and this and that. It says, welcome him. He's instructing the church at Colossians. If this guy comes to you, welcome him. Here's the second clue we have in 2 Timothy 4. Paul's writing. He says, get Mark. This is John Mark, the same guy. And bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. That's just a really cool picture where Paul didn't cling to the bitterness and just say, I'm going to, I'm going to feed off of being mad at you. And that's going to become part of who I am is I'm mad at that guy. I'm against that guy. But he also didn't overlook the offense. He didn't just brush off the fact that he deserted the missions trip and went back to Jerusalem. And that's a picture of speaking the truth, not overlooking the offense, but doing it in love and looking for a way to restore the guy. So John Mark has kind of grown up, and now here he is, and there's no longer this rift. And that's like me and Kurt 10, 15 years later. You know, we're not clinging to this thing. And, and, and Kurt says, you know what? Jonathan's a good guy. He's proven himself faithful. And it doesn't become this lifelong passion that he's just mad at this guy. That's how it ought to be in the church. That's what it looks like to speak the truth in love to one another. Here's the message for that for every single one of you who is like the roses, stepping out of the boat or contemplating stepping out of the boat. Here it is. Failure is not fatal. If God raises something up in your heart and you go, man, it'd be so cool if we did this. Why aren't we ministering in this way? Why, why are we not showing compassion to this people group? And then you just get this voice that says, do that? You've never done that before. Have you guys ever been to New Orleans on a missions trip? Okay. When was your first missions trip out of the country? Last summer. You didn't go. So they're not seasoned veterans that say, we should go on a missions trip. It's something God put in their heart, and they're walking and keeping in step with the Spirit, and they go, yes, Lord, and they just do it, and they follow, and they obey. Is that if you were to start something up here, the message for the church here is that failure is not fatal, and that you don't have to feel like, well, I've blown it. I'm no longer useful to the kingdom because you are. Jesus just, just I, that cracks me up, because that probably is like, look, just call me justice for Pete's sake. Way too much confused. They're like, Jesus? No, 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 it's not that one, you know. And, you know, touch me here. I'm not that guy. You know, just call me justice. I'm sure that's what he, he just went with that. But just listen to this. All it says about him was he was a fellow worker and that he was a comfort. And what an honor to know that God used Jesus' justice to accomplish his work through the ministry of Paul. Every, every leader knows that there's a team of people. Again, Steve Jobs, who may get glory for announcing a new iPhone, there's a team of people that he will thank and realize he needs their help. 
And what if it was our life's goal to, to be like a, a Jesus justice who says, gosh, God will never have me lead a brand, you know, whole thing by myself, but I love to come alongside and support what's happening and be a comfort and be a hard worker and a fellow, per, you know, person in that, in that picture on the missions trip. Epaphras, flip over just one page, Colossians chapter one. We talked about Epaphras at the very beginning. He's probably the, the current pastor at, at Colossae. In verse seven, he says, you learned it from Epaphras. Chapter one, verse seven. Our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us about your love in the Spirit. So this is the guy. Now we, we catch him at the end of the book here, and, and he's their pastor. And what I love about this is how he's identified is, is as one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus. Not as our senior pastor, our guy, our big cheese. But... As one of you, church at Colossae, he's one of you. And you know what? He's a servant of Christ Jesus. That's what he is. We had a college intern who became the college intern long before I gave him the title of college intern. He just began functioning like the college intern at Valley Church should function. And so I just started praying. I said, God, what are you doing in this guy's life that he's doing all this Stuff. He's just being a servant. He's just washing people's feet. He's like, Dave, what else needs to be done? I want to do it. Well, as, as things would happen, he just wrapped up a one-year internship one month ago because I went to him and I said, I don't know if you know this or not, but you're acting like a college intern would act. And why don't we formalize this? And why don't you and I start to meet one-on-one? And why don't I begin to train you up such that I don't even need to be at college group and you could lead it? And I'd, I would entrust faithful things to faithful men. What do you think about that? And he was like, cool. (laughs) So that's what we did. And we formalized the process. And and what if around here we didn't wait for ministry director title or we didn't wait for lead this or director of that or, you know, chairman such and such. But what if we just did what God told us to do and served in a way God told us to serve? And then titles, it's like, well, yeah, whatever. But we don't wait for our parking spot out front that says, you know, director of cleaning toilets, you know, or whatever, and that's my parking spot. And we start to take pride in that. And, and as people, we all tend to want to do that. It's easier sometimes. But this is a cool picture where Paphras, who was probably their pastor, just, just as identified as one of you and a servant of Christ. It's interesting here that he's fervent in prayer just earlier last week uh, from Don's message last week. Is that this guy's fervent, singular agonizing prayer was for the maturity of his people. And here's what's interesting too. When I asked if you knew an an Epaphras, none of you have named your kid after this guy. Here's Here's the point of that. Most hardworking, godly Christian servants are unknown to you and I. They will never be famous. They will never write a book. You will never see their name in lights. And I think to some degree, If you're doing it right, that's how it ought to be. So then you say, well, what about Paul? Paul was both godly, clearly. He wrote much of the New Testament. We know he was godly and he was famous. I know a lot of Pauls. You know what? I think God chooses some people to be allowed to do that and handle that kind of burden of responsibility. But I think most of us wouldn't be able to handle that kind of fame. Because it would go right here to our head. And so most of us ought to, ought to pattern ourselves after an Epaphras. 
who just did it for the Lord, knew he was going to be just a footnote in God's story, and was not only okay with that, but was thrilled with that. Thank you, God, that I get to be part of your work. And would you please grow these people up because other churches are needed in other parts of the Tri-City area and beyond. And would you just grow up uh, people who are fully mature and able to stand firm? And that's what he was doing. Two more people he mentions. Luke, that's the gospel writer. We learn here that he's a doctor. He mentions Demas. Oh, I'm supposed to be doing my thing here. Uh, so here's, here's the picture, guys. All these different names that he's mentioning... Um, you know what, when you see this picture, you don't look at the guy third from the bottom and go, man, that guy's such an all-star. He is so stinking cool. I've got a trading card of him and his autograph. You just don't. All you do is you go, that team is pulling in the same direction. The guy, Paul, you know, the little dude that sits in the front, you know, Paul was a short guy. Maybe he'd be that guy, you know, barking out orders. There is one person who's different, and there's, there's, there's quarterbacks on God's team, and there are specific people that get point lead, and that's, that's okay. But the point is, they're all focused in the same direction. They're all pulling for one goal. They're not there for, for their own glory. And that, that just is a cool picture of the church. Luke is a doctor, writes not only the Gospel of Luke, but also the book of Acts. Demas, catch this, is a guy that right here is being commended. Here's Demas's future. 2 Timothy 4.9, do your best to come to me quickly. This is Paul writing at the very end of his life. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Jesus had his Judas. Paul had his Demas. Here's another desertion. You go in ministry long enough and you taste the heartbreak of people who've loved this world more than others. This guy made a serious contribution to the kingdom. Huge self-sacrifice, not just a few days missions trip, but journeys. And here he is being tempted and seduced by the world and pulling out such that Paul has to say, caution. The last section here in verse 15 is just Paul sending his greeting to the church. Verse 15 says, give my greeting to my brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the churches of of, of the Laodiceans. And that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Awesome picture of churches sharing resources. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work that you have received from the Lord. And then finally, in verse 18, it's like Paul just grabs the pen from his, the person writing all this. And he basically signs off in his own hand. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. And then he says, grace be with you. I want to ask the band come up, and they're going to close us in a song. And while they do, I just have a couple of thoughts for you. The book of Colossians says this, Christ is the all-important, all-sufficient, flaming center of this new life that we have in Christ. Anything else that is added to his work, both past, present, and future, is I that leads to sure and eternal death. That's Colossians in two sentences. As As we sign off with this portion of it, the question for you and I is this, how will you and I Advance the gospel this week. Maybe it's putting on saver the weather in New Orleans starting on Saturday so that you remember when it says 92 degrees with 100% humidity, you remember to pray for Vivian and for Stephen and for Julie. And more importantly, that the gospel would go out clearly and boldly there and that God would be glorified and honored. This is a picture of our Mexico team from a couple of years ago. 
some of the people in this room were on this team. The last day to sign up for Mexico is today. You know that God could put it on your heart to say, man, I've been holding off on this thing. It's at the end of August. I really do have time I could go or I need to make time. Come and talk to me. We're going to go down and serve and love kids who were formerly street kids that now are orphans that are creating the image of God and need the love of Jesus. And we're going to go for that specific purpose. Here's a picture of our church pointing out this fact. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to wait for New Orleans to open up or you're scheduled to open up for Zimbabwe or Mexico. But you can be the church right here as as testified this morning by the Garzas. There are needs in this body this morning that I can't possibly begin to scratch the surface of meeting. But if we all function as a body and do it together, we can meet it together. Let me pray for us. God, we need your help. We need the community here. We need you to be at the very center and present with us, God. We thank you for the power that we receive because of what we celebrated this morning, and that is the risen Christ. The one that not only died and gave himself up for us, but rose from the dead, conquered death and the power of sin, and allows us to walk in newness of life. I thank you, Jesus, for being our King and our Lord and our leader and the one that we are enamored with this morning. It's to you we sing. We don't sing great and awesome as Paul. We don't sing great and awesome as the community at Colossae. But we lift up the name of Jesus Christ this morning. I thank you for each person here, Lord. Meet us all where we're at as we leave this place, as we close out our week. Help us to be the church, not just to people in this room, God, but to our neighborhood, to our workmates, where life happens the rest of the week. In Jesus' name. Amen.